Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Dr. E.J. McKenzie on Blog Talk Radio. Once again, it's good being with you. This is Dr. E.J. McKenzie, your host of The Master Key, where we thank God that God is raising up men and women all over this globe to be a key to unlock the destiny of of individuals. And uh, matter of fact, once your destiny is unlocked, you become a key yourself. So every person is a key to unlock someone's destiny. Everyone has the ability to influence someone positively. Well, today... Uh, we want to give out our guest call-in number, those that would like to call, or you can uh, chat with us. Uh, you can uh, go into the chat room, and um, and if you desire to uh, chat with us, you can do that, uh, if you will. Uh, but um, we believe that God is going to uh, really encourage you today and we believe when we get off the line today that you will be able to walk in a great level of victory. Well, our call-in number is area code 213 for those that desire to call in. Well, no, I'm giving you the wrong number here. The uh, correct number is area code 347. Excuse me. 347-237-5493. Our call-in number once again is area code 347-237-5493. We're excited about uh, the different... Uh, areas that we're able to uh, share with you and to be able to be a blessing to you. On Mondays and Fridays, once again, um, we in, also, let me share this, we're in an experimental mode uh, trying to see what is the best time frame to be able to maximize and sharing with you. So uh, uh, just bear with us, if you will, as we uh, prepare to uh, uh, make changes if it's necessary. But anyway, I will call in uh, number once again is area code three four seven two three seven five four nine three. Mondays and Fridays you'll be uh, hearing from me. It's uh, such an honor and a privilege to come with, uh, before you and to be able to serve you. Uh, and that is one p.m. on Mondays and Fridays, uh, Tuesday and Thursday, uh, starting uh, next week. Uh, we'll be having uh, uh, Prophet Kathy McKenzie. Uh, we'll be sharing with you on Wednesdays. Uh, we do a uh, marriage thing together, and uh, we pray that uh, uh, what you heard uh, on Wednesday was a blessing to you. And Saturday, I'm really looking forward to Saturday. It's not going to be this coming Saturday or next Saturday, but the following Saturday, second Saturday in the month of October, we'll begin what we call our intercessory prayer and a prophetic encounter uh, with you. Uh, that's going to be for two hours. That's going to be from the 12 noon till 2 p.m. Uh, we're looking at, looking at uh, putting, uh, uh, bringing some men and women together that uh, will be able to speak prophetically into your life, those that uh, need to hear from God. Uh, we'll set some time out from that, uh, set some time apart to be able to speak prophetically into your life. Uh, also that we uh, have the doors, the, the lines open for prayer. Uh, those that desire 
uh, intercessory prayer. You have some issues, you have some needs, some pressing needs. Uh, God has graced us in this particular area uh, to break uh, things off of people, uh, to break the powers of darkness off people. Uh, God has graced us to be able to uh, even uh, prophesy in the areas of prayer, what we would call prophetic intercession, uh, that we will be able to go into the realm of the spirit and dismantle things um, that has been arranged against you. And so we're looking forward to that because the ultimate goal is to see humanity set free, uh, to see humanity walk in uh, the victory that has been provided for them over 2,000 years ago. So we're excited about that. Uh, On the broadcast on yesterday was a message, a series of messages that we have, uh, we're in, in the process of teaching it's probably probably not probably it is the longest uh, series that I have ever done. I've been ministering over 30 years now, but this is the longest series that uh, I have ever done on one particular subject, uh, which is the anatomy of man. And that particular one on yesterday, I think it's probably around about the fifth or the sixth, uh, seventh. I don't know. Remember one in the series so far. Um, the anatomy of man: characteristics of carnality. Uh, uh, one of the reasons I believe that uh, I've been impressed by the Spirit of God to uh, uh, share this particular message uh, because of what I believe is taking place in the earth realm and what God wants to do in the earth realm. We've got to understand, and, 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 and a lot of things is uh, what I would call the acquiring of knowledge with the majority of people that go to church. And sometimes uh, we as Christian or church-going people are some of the most defeated people upon the face of the earth, and we should be the most victorious people. Uh, we should be the most loving people, the most kind people. We, must be, we should be the most forgiving people, but sometimes that is not the case. So we got to believe that there is a sovereign will. Uh, there's someone that is bigger than us, and the reason you and I exist is because the person that is bigger than us, which is God, greater than us, which is God, he created you and I because he has a purpose in mind. This got to become a reality to you. And and, and I'm going to deal with the carnality thing, but I really want to talk about faith today if the uh, the spirit will permit me. Uh, this must become a reality to us. We so struggle in our identity. We so struggle in the reality of who we are. The majority of Christians, that we, we know all of the language, we know all of the scriptures, but the reality of them, uh, so many of us is, is, is liking because we don't know how to appropriate them. And I personally believe one of the reasons we have not had adequately, uh, not say adequately, but adequate relationships from a biblical perspective. Let's look at it from the beginning. God formed man from the dust of the ground. That was Adam. Eve was in Adam. Her name wasn't Eve while she was in Adam. He named her Eve. But there was another dimension of himself that was in Adam. Uh, in himself. God formed man out of the dust of the ground. Then God, the, the scripture says, breathed into man's nostril the breath of life. Now, he didn't breathe uh, uh, God's life in him. He breathed in him the breath of life. 
That's how man got his human spirit. The breath of life. And man became a living soul, the scripture says. He became a personality. That's what a soul is. The real you is a personality. You are a person. What makes you a person is you, your soul, your personality. And man became a personality. Man became a soul. And then when we begin to look at God, begin to give the man instructions. I want you to take dominion of the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the face of the earth. I want you to take dominion over it. I want you to subdue it. Anything get out of out of the original alignment, the original creation, put it back in place. I have given you the authority to put it back in place. Now, now this is this is very important that we understand what what has been articulated today, even to even to understand faith. I cannot have faith outside of my function. I, I, if I do, I can, but it would be illegal. I would be birthing something in that never was the plan of God, the heart of God, to birth in. And so, therefore, I need to understand my reason of being. Okay, God created Adam for a reason. He created him for a purpose. And we read in Genesis chapter 1 what the reason was and the purpose was. God wanted to populate the earth with people, men and women, human beings, that is made in the image and the likeness of God to function just like their father. Not Adam, but God himself, the ultimate father. But all human beings would have come out of Adam, and Adam would have been, I would call, the federal or the corporate head of the human race. But all of us would have been trained, educated, taught, mentored by Adam and because God mentored Adam, Adam was to mentor Eve, and Adam and Eve was to mentor their children. And the children would mentor their children, and children's children on and on and on and on and on and on until the whole earth was populated. But we know that the man has a function and the woman has a function. I believe uh, that there was a purpose for the man and a purpose for the woman, a function for the man, a function for the woman, but I believe it would have been continued to extend and extend and extend and extend and extend and extend and extend that every person that would have been born in the earth without sin would have had certain characteristics and dimensions of God that would have been manifested here in the earth just like the angels in heaven. You've got all different categories of angels in heaven. Those angels represent a dimension of God. They represent a dimension of the characteristics and the attributes of God. You've got uh, messenger angels that will come and give messages. You have warring angels that war and battle in the realm of the spirit, even as it was when Daniel was fasting 20, uh, 21 days, and, and another angel came and helped the angel that came to give Daniel the message and begin to battle in the war to release him to be able to come break through this realm and give Daniel, the message that the Father had sent him. So you got all different kind of categories of angels, which represents uh, the different dimensions of God, which has got to be vast. Got to be billions or even trillions of probably no number can count, because that's how vast our God is. No one man has, uh, has the full scope of God. And so I believe that the whole earth would have been populated uh, with different characteristics and attributes uh, uh, of God. 
So therefore, you were not born just to be born. You was born because there was a that's a dimension of God that needs to give expression in the earth realm, and only you can give that expression because nobody else. Think about it. it's so fascinating. Even the creation of man that not one single person upon the face of the earth have the same fingerprint. Can you imagine that? That, that is mind-boggling. Not one single person has the same DNA. So that should show the, the vastness, uncomprehendable mind of our Father God. But we so limit him. So you are unique, you are awesome, you are dynamic, but you've got to understand this right here. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, no, no, 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, it says, The God of this world has blinded not the spirit, not the body, has blinded the minds of them that believe not, least the glorious light of the gospel shall shine and penetrate unto them. Once again, who is the Apostle Paul writing to under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? He's not writing to sinners. He's not writing to unbelievers. He's writing to the church of Corinth. These born-again believers, these believers that were second to none in knowledge, second to none in the gifts of the Spirit, second to absolutely none. He's writing to them. So he's saying, the God of his word, no, that's the same church they call carnal, but yet it was, they had the gifts. He said, the God of this word comes to blind the mind. So it means then if they were carnal Christians, yet flowing in the gifts of the Spirit, yet, uh, uh, I mean, tremendous knowledge. And he's writing this letter to them. Evidently, evidently there was a dimension of themselves that was blinded. A dimension of their mentality was manipulated and blinded by Satan, but yet they was doing church things. They were doing church things, and yet at the same time, they had uh, some knowledge of the scriptures or some knowledge of God. But evidently, that knowledge that they had did not propel them into the walking in the fullness of the spirit, of the fullness of God, of the fullness of the lordship of Jesus Christ. In other words, he would have never wrote this under the inspiration of the spirit of God. So therefore, heaven is talking through Paul to the Corinthian church. Let it know you, 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 you're okay. Uh, 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 well, I can't even say okay for the simple reason because they was carnal. That means they set themselves up against God. Because in Romans chapter 8, Paul says a carnal mind is enmity against God. A man that sets his mind on the things of the flesh is death. A carnal man is a... Uh, how can I say this here appropriate? A, a carnal man is a fleshly man, or a carnal man is a man that is born again, but his mind have not been renewed. That, that's, I think, is an adequate uh, definition. A man whose mind born again, but his mind have not been renewed. But yet he go to church, but yet he flows into things of, more than anything, yet he have not discovered who he is. So he, what a carnal person does, uh, he... He, his identity is in his gifts, his talents, the things that he do, but not in Christ because he have not come into the knowledge of Christ. 
have him but have not grown in the knowledge of Christ. And all through the epistles, Paul, especially in Paul's writings, he, he, he constantly put an emphasis in growing in the knowledge, growing in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, growing in the knowledge of the Father, and growing in the knowledge of the Son. He constantly put an emphasis growing in that knowledge. And But what we have done, because we don't understand what it means to grow in the knowledge of God, we think growing in the knowledge of God is continuing to apply ourselves to study. And so we, 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 we study, we read, we listen to books, uh, uh, we read books, uh, we have Bibles, we have dictionaries, encyclopedias, we have concordance. So we have all this, 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 these tools uh, to help us to grow in the knowledge of God, but what I don't understand, I'm really not growing in the knowledge of God by the acquiring of knowledge. And I'm, I'm, I'm really moved by what is happening to us today. And when I say us, I'm talking about us, the body of Christ. I'm talking about all of the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, we, government authorities. Something is wrong. Something We have missed it somewhere. But I believe God is challenging us to renew the spirit of our mind. Now, when we begin to see that Jesus really is the pattern to help people come into the knowledge of God, and then you and I will come into the knowledge of who we are. So the enemy goal is to blind my mind and blind your mind for you and I to never discover who we are. Well, yet we read the scriptures and we quote, I mean, we quote them, we confess them. Uh, Hebrews, I think, 10, 23 said, hold fast to the confession of your faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promise. What do we do? We get a bunch of scriptures and we start confessing every day. We use our affirmations, uh, confessions, whatever you want to call them, every day. We're loyal, we're faithful, with the majority of us anyway. And, and we confess and we confess and we confess and we're just hoping that something is going to happen by my confession. But not realizing, understanding, you don't confess hoping something is going to happen. You confess because you know something is going to happen. And the only way that you can know something is going to happen by confession, confessing, is because you have encountered someone to make your confession authentic. Other words, uh, it's become a sounding brass and a tingling cymbal. It's just awesome words, but they are empty. They are words with no power. So the enemy's ultimate goal is to blind me, for me to never discover who I am. How does he do that? He, he he attacks my mind. He attacks your mind. He lied to you. He lied to me. The Bible called him the accuser of the brother that accuses us before God day and night. And so, therefore, we never discover who we are, and 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 and, and uh, we're so frustrated, we're so aggravated, we're so oppressed, so depressed. The majority of Christians that go to church, we're oppressed and depressed. So humanity is oppressed and depressed. Because we're the one that should be liberating humanity, but we need liberating. We need liberating. But there's an order, ladies and gentlemen. There's an order. And the reason I started out with Adam and Eve, because something, there's a pattern there. I believe the pattern for everything that you and I ever need to know about God and what God wants to do in the earth, I believe it's in the book of Genesis. Genesis 1, 2, 3. Uh, uh, and you can, we can go on, but the book of Genesis revealed the order of God, the pattern of God for you and I to experience a level and a measure. I don't even like using this word success because success 
from a biblical perspective is different from success uh, from this realm uh, perspective. So in the word of the Lord, we see a pattern here. And the reason I'm bringing this out, that, that it, when God created Adam, he trained Adam. He mentored Adam. Before God gave Eve to Adam, Adam, from God's perspective, and you know God is perfect, God knew knows when somebody is ready. He trained him. So he trained him, he mentored him, he educated him. There was no books, there was no Bibles, uh, there was no recordings. It was a divine uh, 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 mentor-protege relationship between the creator and his creation, Adam. Now, then he turns around and bring, put him to sleep, took the real about, brought the woman for the woman to do, for not so much the woman, for Adam to do to the woman exactly what God did to him. He mentored him. He trained him. Now, the reason I'm bringing this out, ladies and gentlemen, because it's very important, God's method has always been. Now, the word in, in Genesis there, the Bible calls God Father. He's, he's, he's father. And so Adam is a son. Eve is a daughter. And now the human race is beginning. So, so the human race um, has a pattern. The God that created the human race established a pattern. And the pattern of God has always been from a human Relationship. Uh, I'm trying to think of uh, the, uh, the right word to use here, but we'll just go ahead and use the term that we're used to: a protege mentor relationship. We'll just use those two words: a protege mentor relationship. So it's always been that pattern. Jesus turns around and, and which is the second man, Adam, and did the exact same thing. What God did for Adam. What did Jesus do? He called 12 men unto himself. God didn't, he didn't create 12 men, but the nations of the world was, is, was locked up in Adam. And every human being has come from Adam and Eve, from Adam. All life comes from the male gender. Jesus, the second man, Adam comes to do the same thing because he come to restore the original pattern of God. That's the second man, Adam, Jesus. He called 12 men unto himself. And, G, and, and what did Jesus do? Jesus did not sit down there, sit down with them with the Bible. Jesus did ministry. He did ministry. Those 12 men was alongside of him for a period of time. Then he called the 12 and gave them authority and power in Luke chapter 9 to go do what he did, to preach exactly what he preached. Now, now something is 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 is, is happening here that we, you and I got to see. You got to understand the temptation in the Garden of Eden, when Eve was to get her to operate independently of her authority, independently of her husband. Ladies and gentlemen, the lie is always to make you think that you're going to be less. If you follow somebody, 
but not realizing understanding to follow someone, you have to come to the end of you. There cannot be any of you. And so that's how you become who God has ordained and appointed and anointed you to be. But the teaching, especially a lot of New Age teachers, I was uh, 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 listening to something, somebody shared something, uh, some information with me. I was at the the gym uh, last week. And a young man shared a, a book with me and, and, uh, and told me it was an excellent book, whatever the case may be. And uh, But it was from a, I would call, a um, uh, self-help New Age teaching. A lot of the self-help New Age teaching have a lot of biblical principles. And I would never would encourage, and this is another problem with the church, I would never encourage you to listen to self-help New Age teaching if you don't have a strong biblical foundation because it is so close to the Bible you can drift off. And it sounds so it sounds so much like truth that if you don't know the truth, you'll get tricked and you'll drift off. And that's what has happened in the church too. A lot of New Age teaching has creeped into the church because of the majority, uh, I wouldn't say majority, but many of us leaders does not do not have a great solid foundation that we can be able to bounce things off or divide things and say, nope, that is not God, whatever the case may be, because it's so, it sounds so much like truth. But anyway, in this teaching, awesome principles, but here is the pattern of New Age teaching. It's always centered around you, but it's never centered, centered around the Lord Jesus Christ, the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. It's always centered around you building you, you strengthening you, you becoming your own God, you you activating your strength and your capacities outside of dependency upon the Holy Spirit. That is the danger of it. And that's how so many people get off course. But but the, the, the principle, I mean, some of the things, just awesome principle, a little truth mixed in there with error, and, and have enough truth that when error is in, uh, uh, injected in there, you won't be able to notice if you don't have a good foundation at all. But God's pattern was that, and, and the teaching was that you need to think uh, uh, for yourself. That's true from a humanistic perspective. Now, I'm tell you what I mean. Now, Jesus, the Son of the living God, makes this statement that is the Father that does the works through him. He did not come to do his will. He came to do the will of the Father. Jesus said, it is my meat, my pleasure to do his will. I and the Father is one. What made him one? But yet at the same time, yet at the same time, the Bible says when God brought Eve forth, he made this declaration, God made this declaration to Adam. This reason shall a man leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one. Well, Jesus made a statement, a declaration, that him and the father was one. So since Jesus and the father is one, and he made a declaration in Genesis chapter 2 that the man and the woman should become one, but then how do they become one? How was Jesus and the Father one? So we can, we can see the pattern, and we can learn from the pattern. Jesus and the Father are one. The Father and I are one. This reason shall a man leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife, 
and the two shall become one flesh. The two shall become one. Interesting. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they are one, but yet they have three different functions. So you mean to tell me a husband and a wife can become one with two different functions? You mean to tell me a family can become one? A husband and a wife and a children can become one in three different functions? The Father have a function, the Son has a function, the Holy Spirit has a function. We're in the dispensation of the Holy Spirit at this present time, ladies and gentlemen. The Father's dispensation was the Old Testament. Jesus, the Word of God dispensation, was the fulfillment of the Old Covenant to establish the New. He fulfilled it, died, rose, now release the Holy Spirit to establish the New Covenant in the earth realm. Now we're under the, what we call the dispensation of grace or the dispensation of the Holy Spirit. All of them have different functions. And all three of them functions, if you look at it from a biblical perspective, had everything to do with the restoration and redemption of mankind. So, therefore, you got the Jesus declaration, the Father and I, we are one. So, how did Jesus become one with the Father? How did Jesus become one with the Father? Here is this pattern of discipleship, or this pattern of mentorship again. Now, a protege is never the mentor's job that a protege stays a protege. The mentor's goal and job is that the protege will become a mentor. Because if the protege never becomes a mentor, then the relationship is in vain. That's vital that we understand it. It is in vain. But the manipulation of the enemy will always be to the protege that the mentor is trying to stop you, the mentor is trying to hold you back. Just like the enemy spoke to Eve through the serpent in the Garden of Eden. God knows that if you partake of this tree, you're going to be just like God, knowing good and evil. God don't want you to be like him. Well, don't you think the devil is going to say the same thing to the brother Jay? That your mentor is jealous of you. Your mentor is afraid of you. Your mentor know that you you anointed and your mentor is holding you back. Your mentor don't want you to come forth. Is that what the lie that the devil tells children to about the parents? Well, they kind of control me. And uh, I'm my own person. They want me to be just like them. Well, did not God want Adam to be just like him? Did not God want his son Jesus to be just like him? Jesus said, the Father and I are one. When you see me, you see the Father. So the lie has become to our children is to try to be everybody, everything and everybody else but who God made them to be in the image and the likeness of their parents in God, that is. Not according to the flesh, not according to the old man, but according to the new man. Our children should be patterning themselves after the God on the inside of the parents. So, but that is the manipulation. That is the warfare. The warfare is to always get the wife to think 
that the husband don't love her and he's trying to stop her progress, calls her. Now, that may be true in some cases, especially if a man is not saved or a man is not spiritually in tune. And you got some men is intimidated by the strength of their wives. And you got some wives uh, have absolutely no wisdom. If they get strong, they don't know how to use their strength um, to help their husbands become the man of God that the Father has ordained, appointed, and anointed the man to be. Her wisdom, if you would notice in the word of the Lord, <laughs> your wisdom is not in much talking. Your wisdom, young ladies, and I don't know what the Lord is kind of deep. I really want to talk about faith this morning, but God got some other things on his heart this morning that he want to share uh, with our radio audience today. You, you, you don't win him by your much speech. You don't win him by the scriptures you quote to him. That's not the way that you win him, according to Peter. And so that's probably one of the reasons why your husband is so frustrated with your spirituality is because it may not be spirituality. Quoting scriptures is not spirituality. Uh, the devil quotes scriptures. The Bible says he can transform himself into an angel of light. But you, you, you win him by, the scripture says in Peter, by your chase conversation. The word conversation in the Greek there is behavior. It's not speech. It's behavior. In other words, you are modeling before him Christ. You're modeling before him submission. You're modeling before him a helpmate. Not in what you say, but in what you do. Paul, Peter said you can win him. And don't tell me, what woman that will walk like that can't win a man? It'll break every bone-like resistance down when you, when a man know he haven't been good to you, when the man know that he done spent all the money, when the man know that he, he have lied or cheated or whatever the case may be, and you carry yourself like that, your very presence will eradicate and annihilate and destroy satanic and demonic and fleshly yokes off of that man. Why? Because you're modern Christ. There will be the manifestation of Christ. So once again, you don't win him by that, by preaching to him and quoting scriptures to him. It's by modeling before him that lifestyle. Let's get back to the mentorship and protege relationship and the manipulation of the enemy with Eve. God, know that you partake of this tree here, that you're going to be just like God, knowing good and evil. Here's the manipulation to usurp the position of the authority the relationship that God created for you. God is the one that created the man to be the head of the union. God, the man didn't, God did. And so therefore, God created you to be second in the union, but yet you all were coming to oneness of the union. Your function is only second. But your relationship is not second. You got to understand. If you execute your function, he executes his function, that's what's going to bring you into the oneness. Jesus said, same thing, just like the woman's a help me, Jesus was a help me to the Father. He was a help me. He came to do the will of the Father. He said, I come to do the will of the Father. So why should say, I'm coming to do the will of my husband? Then the children should say, we're here to do the will of our parents. 
here is mentorship. Here is protege relationship. Uh, are we getting this today? And I cannot have faith in God if I don't understand the order of God for my life, the purpose of God for my life. I cannot have faith in it. See, faith goes beyond asking him for something, believing him for something. It's, it's not about even something. It's about a relationship. All faith is believing, trusting, and I like the way uh, one translation says, uh, is the leaning of the entire personality on God in confidence, faith, and faith, confidence, and trust. The leaning of the whole entire personality on God. That means to really have faith, it's impossible to have faith without abandoning yourself, without surrendering yourself. So I want faith in God for a house, for a car, for a husband, for a wife. I want faith in him for things, but not faith in him to accomplish purpose. Then I become selfish. And do you see how we bring that over into our human relationships? I want faith in God. I want God to do this for me. So a woman marry a man, a man marry a woman. So I'm marrying her because I, I, I want this. I'm marrying him because I want this. But is anybody marrying because of purpose? Because there's a purpose. Faith, ladies and gentlemen, in God have everything to do with heaven being revealed in the earth realm. Will you be a channel? If there's anybody in the earth realm, any man, any woman, that will make a declaration today, that I'm making a decision today, that I'm going to be the man of God, the woman of God, that God has ordained upon and wanted me to be, because there's something in me that God wants to reveal in the earth realm that nobody else can produce in the earth but me. Nobody. This is the reason I'm being. That's why I have my, that's why I have my own fingerprint, and there's nobody like me. And that means there's something in me that the world needs that nobody else have, but I have it. But if I'm blinded to who I am, I could never bring forth who I am. And I only can bring forth who I am when I come, become a, when I receive a revelation of who he is. Because your life, my life, the scriptures say it is hidden in Christ, in God, or in God in Christ. So, so uh, my life is hidden. Your life is hidden. To discover me is to discover him. If I never discover him, I never discover me. So as the Bible teaches us, Paul teaches us that, that we will grow in the knowledge of the Father and the Son. Notice that you and I will grow in the knowledge of the Father and the Son. Then is he not saying that as I grow in the knowledge of the Father and the Son, I'm growing in the knowledge of me? Because the more the Father and the Son is unveiled to me, am I not unveiled? To myself, if my life is hidden with God in Christ, ladies and gentlemen, that's what it's all about, ladies and gentlemen. It's all about uh, an intimate relationship with him, and there can never be intimacy without abandonment. There can never be intimacy without surrender. There can never be intimacy without me yielding. When I make a decision that I'm going to surrender, my spirit, my soul, and my body to him, and I can't do it if I don't trust him. And think about it. 
How can you have faith in somebody that you don't trust? It's going to be very difficult. I'm, uh, I'm put it another way. How can you have faith in someone who you don't know? That's more the adequate question. How can you have faith in someone that you do not know? When I used to teach on faith, I used to uh, uh, make the statement, if someone come into this building today and said, give me the keys, uh, all you Christians in here, I know you all people of faith, uh, and, and I know you trust God, you believe God, uh, so since you all are people of faith uh, and you know that God can do anything, uh, 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 will you give me the keys to your car? Uh, I'll be back. I need to go to the grocery store. I need to buy some groceries, but I'll be back before service is over with, and I'll return your keys to your car. you never seen that person. But yet they come in there and say, you got faith. You say, yeah, I got faith. And if you have faith, give me the keys. Will you give that person your keys? And you should always have somebody who will say, yeah, I'll give them my keys. That's the revelation. The person don't have absolutely no clue what faith is. The only reason you would give the keys is because you heard the voice of the Lord say, give that person the keys. But based on the law of faith, Notice the scripture scripture that we usually quote all the time when it comes down to faith. Mark eleven twenty three and twenty four. It says something like this right here. If you uh, uh, had faith as a grain of mustard seed, I think I'm, I'm, I'm quoting another scripture here. You will be able to say to this mountain, "Be thou cast in the sea," and uh, doubt not in your heart. You shall have what you say. I think 24 says something like this right here. What sort of things you desire when you pray? Believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Now, so if you had faith, you will speak to a mountain, and you tell it, be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea. And you doubt not in your heart, you're going to have whatsoever you say. 24 once again says, and whatsoever thing you desire, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Now, the, when we teach on faith, those are the two main scriptures that the majority of faith scripture, uh, foundation of the, uh, the majority of faith teachers uh, comes out of those particular verses there. But then we put emphasis on twenty three and twenty four, and that's what get people off track. But the emphasis is not twenty three and twenty four. The foundation of twenty three and twenty four is twenty two. Twenty two says have faith in God. Then you speak to the mountain. And tell it be that removed me that cast into the sea. Then you doubt not in your heart. Then you're going to have what you say. But notice its foundation is have faith in God. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. And so, and watch this right here. And then our faith is predicated upon power or the ability to get what we want. Because we still don't understand the fundamentals of faith. So have faith in God. Now, watch this right here. See, the teachings appear to be contradictable. Because this teacher, teacher here says, as I speak to the mountain, tell the mountain, be that removed, be that cast in the sea. I'm going to have whatsoever I say. That's what it says. So I doubt not in my heart, I'm going to have what I say. And whatsoever thing you desire when you pray, believe that you should receive me, you shall have it. Now, I have taught this, and I taught it from this perspective years ago until the Lord began to deal with me more about a relationship with him. And living for him and not living selfishly. Because he said, what's something you desire? But the emphasis is 22, have faith in God. Now, 
My question would be to you, did Jesus have faith in God? You're going to tell me yes. He had faith in God. Jesus is the one that is even articulating this, this verse here, these verses. He's saying this. So will Jesus expect you to do something different than him? Or is he the head of the church? Well, he's the head of the church. If he's the head of the church, that means he's the pattern for the body. Could we agree with that? That he's the head of the church, but yet he is the pattern for the body. When a woman gives birth, uh, have a normal birth, uh, not having a C-section, what used to happen uh, when the baby come out? What part of the baby come out first when it's normal? The head. What follows the head? The body. So the head comes out first. First, the body come out second. Are we the body? Yes, we're the body of Christ. Well, who's the head, head of the body? Jesus. Christ is the head of the body. So he's the pace setter. So he came and showed us how this thing's supposed to be. Yes. Okay. Did you ever hear Jesus ever pray his desire? Well, you know, Father, I, I, I want this, I want that, I want this, I want a car, I want a house. We read in the scripture, he says, foxes have holes, birds have nests, the son of man don't have places, put it rest his head. You want to follow me? Well, I'm, I'm just trying to show you something, a principle here. The principle of faith it's not even speaking to the mountain. The principle of faith is trusting, and that's the Greek word pistis, there, have faith in God, have faith in God. It's pistis. It is absolute, total confidence, reliance, dependency upon God. Now I can speak to a mountain, and God will remove the mountain because my faith is in God it's not even me removing the mountain because it sounds, seems like I'm moving the mountain because I've got faith in God. I can speak to a mountain. I'm moving the mountain. No, I've got faith in God. I speak to the mountain. God, who i got faith in, moves the mountain. Jesus said, it's the Father that does the works in me. Jesus said, I myself can do nothing. John chapter 5, verse 19 and verse 30, I myself can do nothing. So the manipulation is to get me to do some things in my own strength, my own power, apart from the Most High God. That's the manipulation. That is the trick, ladies and gentlemen. And some things will work, but it will be through soul power, but it will never be through Holy Spirit power. Faith is relationship. So the ultimate enemy's ultimate goal is to manipulate Eve from continuing to have faith in Adam and faith in God. And the reason I'm using Adam, it has to do with the woman, I'm just showing you the pattern of how God advanced himself in the earth realm through relationship. Everything should progress. Everything should progress. My children should be better than me. I am better than my parents. I, uh, when I say better, I have superseded them in the earth realm. My children should supersede me. But if I did not have somebody else to come in my life to help offset some of the negativism that was in my life because I wasn't raised up as a, a, a Christian, it would never have happened. I probably would never superseded them. I probably would have been died and followed back than them. But I had somebody in my life I was willing to listen to and submit myself to. Somebody I was willing to trust. That God brought into my life. Now, I didn't bring them into my life. They didn't bring themselves into my life. That God brought me into their life, and God said to submit. And that's probably one of the most painful relationships I have ever experienced, I ever had in relationship, was 
my spiritual father. He was the one that God used to uh, to break, make, mold, and shape me. But I still had to trust him. Why? I had to. It was a choice. I didn't really have to, but it was a choice. And I did. Why? Because God told me. God chose him. He was an assignment from God. So it had nothing to do with him. My faith in the man had nothing to do with the man. My faith in the man had everything to do with the assignment that God gave me to trust the man. And when you trust the man, the reason you can trust the man is because God is bigger than the man. God is bigger than your parents. God is bigger than your pastor. God is greater than your boss. God is greater than everybody. But did God assign you to that job? Did God assign you to those parents? It's amazing that we don't choose them. He chose them. He assigned them to us and us to them. But how can I, how can I be faithful and loyal to my parents when they're imperfect? God, that's how you die, ladies and gentlemen. That's how you die to yourself. That's how you experience God and encounter God. That's how you grow. It's through your obedience to submitting to imperfect people, an imperfect pastor, an imperfect father, an imperfect mother, an imperfect boss. But yet I believe that God is sovereign and he's in control in fact of all things. And that whatever happened to me through my parents, my boss, whatever the case may be, that God is big enough. That's why he'll be a father to the fathers and a mother to the motherless. He knows how to take up the slack. He just needs you and I to trust him. He just needs you and I to believe him. So what I didn't get from my father and my mother, God turns around and gives me what I need through somebody else for me to become the man of God that God has ordained upon and wanted me to be. And not only that, ladies and gentlemen, I'm still in relationship. I still got to trust God. I got to still believe God in through human relationships. I'm still putting myself in position to be in relationship with people that can speak into my life, that can bring correction to me, that can rebuke me. Why? Because I trust God. I trust God. And when a correction comes, I'm seeing it from God, not from the person that's re- correcting me. If you don't see it any other way, you're going to miss it. You're going to abort the assigned relationships that God has for you. Faith is about God, ladies and gentlemen. It's about God. It's about you and I operating in the divine and perfect will of Almighty God. That's what it's about. Have nothing to do with nobody else. Because the purpose of God in you must be developed. The purpose of God in you must come forth. But it's faith in God. It's not for things. And watch this right here. And you can take it to the bank. All you got to do is look, up, look at the men of faith in the Bible. You can take it to the bank. Faith in God is going to provide you everything you need to be the man and the woman of God that God ordained upon you to be. Think about it. He want to get glory out of your life. He want to get glory out of your life. But how do God get glory out of your life? Let me, let me, let me, let me show you a principle here. God speaks to you like a Joseph and gives you a dream, or you may receive a prophetic word that God is going to do some awesome things. And the, the sad thing about this scenario that I'm about to bring out, the majority of people die and never fulfill purpose, and not because they suffer the name of Jesus, like the principle I shared last week, a couple of days ago. Not because of that. It's just simply because they don't believe God and they have rebelled against God. They don't trust him. They don't believe it. So it ain't, it's not magic. I say that all the time. What God speaks of your life doesn't mean it's going to happen. 
And I hear I hear so much foolishness in the body. Things that people say, and they say it's coming from God, even prophetic words. Ladies and gentlemen, we can take all of the positive scriptures all we want to, and we can speak it and call it a prophetic word. But if a person is not divinely aligned with God, then nothing's going to happen. God is not going to kill you and me. He's not going to give you something that you're not ready for. All the promises of God are yes and to him, amen. Yes, they are. They've already been fulfilled, matter of fact. Because when you begin to even read it, look at the word of faith and the word believe. Believe is the action word of the word faith. Faith is a noun. Believe is an act. Uh, it's, it's the verb of faith. When you believe, <laughs> you're really saying it's already done. It's already been provided. Your step of action is nothing but a revelation that you believe that God has already made, uh, made his step of action. You're only acting because you know God has already acted. That's what believe. I believe, so I act. I act because God has already acted. God is not going to act. He's already acted. And everyone believe it, the scripture receive it. All things are possible to them that believe. Believe. So it's very important that we understand these principles, ladies and gentlemen, that you and I will walk victorious in the earth realm. God loves you emphatically, but you got to understand what love is. Love is not your emotion, your feeling. Love have no feelings, no emotion in it at all. Love is an act of the will that affects my emotions, but it's not agape or agapio. Agapio is the verb of agape, and, 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 and agape is no good. Everybody that's born again have agape, but if agape does not become agapio, it's all in vain. I can make the confession, but I never experienced it. When agape becomes agape, then you have experienced the love of God. You can receive it, but never experience it. And that's why a lot of us, the way we are, we have received it, but never experienced it. And that's why we struggle with loving our spouses and loving our children and loving those that have done us wrong, that has lied on us, assassinated our character, hate us or offended, whatever the case may be. Until you make a decision that you're going to love those people, you will never experience the love of God. You'll never experience it. You have received it, but not experienced it. And so you struggle because you want to, you want love to feel good. It's not about feeling, ladies and gentlemen. It's about you becoming, about you being the man and the woman of God that God has ordained upon and you to do. You obey God. And once again, the reason we struggle with faith is because we don't know him. You're not going to submit yourself to somebody you don't know. You're going to struggle. And, 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 and see, if you don't get a revelation, now, when I met my mentor, I did not know him on a personal level. But God divinely connected the relationship. And God put a love in my heart for him. God, it was supernatural. But I had to do something. And the revelation of my love that God put in my heart for him was revealed in my obedience. So when he told me, gave me assignments to do things that I was fearful of doing, doing and I never did before. That's revelation that you trust somebody. You have faith in somebody and you love somebody. I only knew him for a very short time, very short time. And God spoke to me, he spoke to me through him that I was going to be traveling with him one day. And that took place. 
and I fleeced God, and it, and it came to pass. And 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 I start traveling with him. With in less than a month, in less than a month being with him, he speaks to me. I was only saved a year. The Lord says, it's "Time for you to preach." Time for me to preach. How you get a message? God will show you. God gonna show me. I ain't preaching. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. It's a tent meeting, noonday prayer. You want to minister noonday prayer? What do you think I did? I ministered. What I revealed? I trusted the man. Everything in me was going against me. The capacity, the ability, had no schooling, had no training, had nothing. But God told him that I was to preach. By me stepping out without any kind of training, any kind of knowledge, I never knew how to study. I didn't know how to put a message together. I didn't know anything. But I obeyed. What did I experience? I experienced a level and a measure of death. Death to myself. By me experiencing death, it put me in a position to experience a dimension of the life of God. That's how it worked, ladies and gentlemen. And I can tell everybody, I love the man of God. I love the man of God. I love the man of God. But when your man of God tells you to do something that go against the grain of your human ability, can you step out on the water? And that's why we are not grown. I've got people today, be put them in position before because they're full of information. They have, they have no clue who God is. They know everything about God by reading the Bible. They're very astute in study, very astute in reading and comprehending things about God, but have never been led into an encounter with God, never been led to experience him because Everybody feel comfortable in doing what they know they can do. Everybody feel comfortable in doing what you know you can control. That ain't faith, ladies and gentlemen. When I look at God putting demands on people's faith, it's always beyond their human ability. It goes beyond their skill. It goes beyond their talent. It goes beyond their education. It goes beyond themselves. Faith. If you've never been put in that situation, ladies and gentlemen, you are a danger to somebody else if you're going to lead them. Because you're going to hurt them. You're going to compromise. You're going to keep them comfortable. Keep them living in the realm of what's comfortable for them. And they will never be able to go from height to height, level to level, dimension to dimension, glory to glory in God. They'll never be able to do it. Because they have nobody that they really trust. No man, no flesh and blood in this realm that they trust, then something is wrong because God's going to always put somebody in your life, ladies and gentlemen, that you've got to trust, that you can see, to bring you to a place to trust who you cannot see. I pray today that you got something out of this broadcast. Uh, I know that it's probably seemed like it was scattered, but it really wasn't because God was touching on prophetic in nature. Those that were listening to this broadcast and is listening now, I guarantee that God has touched something that challenged you in some area of your life. That's the way it worked with us. But 
do not forget now, Monday and Friday, this is the time that I will be coming before you. Kathy will be coming before you on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Wednesday, Kathy and myself will be coming together uh, dealing with marriage on Saturday. I'm looking forward to us developing that. Uh, the prophetic dimension will be released over the airways. We're going to be prophesying to individuals. We're going to be warning and battling. And there will be signs, wonders, and notable miracles. It's going to break out uh, on Saturday as we begin to gather the intercessors and begin to gather the prophetic voices to begin to battle and war for you and to begin to speak into your life. Matter of fact, it will be wise that you will begin to send your prayer requests in. We're not going to do it for two weeks, from two weeks out now, but it will be good to start sending your prayer requests in now. Go to ejmpcc.com, and, and, and that's our website. You can go ahead and do that, and we will get information. We'll start doing that, and then we will be able to speak of your life over the line when, when it's time. God bless you. Look forward to being with you on Monday. Let the rest of your week be blessed and prosperous. God bless you.